70, 75% of CMOs still feel like they're lacking in measurement. Here we are on the doorstep of 2019, and we still don't have it figured out. So the more that we can shine the spotlight on what works and give people the opportunity to invest only in things that work, the better off we're going to be. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. This episode was previously recorded and published on the Outperform podcast. Today's quote is one tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor, a sentiment by the late George Carlin that I tend to agree with, but my guest Jay Bear would likely attribute to lower quality tequila. You'll see in addition to being a serial entrepreneur, the founder of a digital strategy consulting firm, Convince and Convert, a media brand, and the author of six New York Times bestselling books, Jay is also an avid tequila collector, which we will get into in our discussion. Jay, welcome. It's so great to be uh, talking with you and to have you on Outperform. Uh, Bob, thanks so much. Fantastic to chat with you. Uh, yeah, let's just make this whole show about tequila. Let's do something different. <laughs> I'm not, I no, it doesn't work for me. I, I had a, a college <laughs> experience uh, where it sort of ruined it for me. <laughs> but that's so true, right? Like everybody, so many people I know are like, oh man, I don't, I don't drink tequila because I had that one time sophomore year. And, you know, I get it. I, ha- I have that with gin. That's why I don't drink gin. Like, I don't even like talking about gin. Everybody has that one bad, that one bad experience. You know, in doing my homework for this podcast, I have to be honest, I, I, I found it kind of challenging to prepare for this discussion. Usually, I'm able to dive in, pick an angle, you know, going, but there, there's just so many topics that you talk and write about that I'm also passionate about, including entrepreneurship, marketing, being an author, high value customer experience. Like I said, I think the only play, only place where I might disagree is I'm, I'm more of a, a whiskey and vodka guy than tequila. I understand. I'll allow it. We got to start somewhere. Um, so let's first dive in with your journey into the online marketing world. And I read that it was accidental. So I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, I, I started in politics and I ran political campaigns for a while and then realized that that's not a great way to make a living. Uh, it's not a, not a real good family gig. So I left there and went to work in traditional marketing for a little while, did that for a few years. And then I worked for the government and I was the spokesperson for the Arizona Department of Juvenile Corrections. So my job essentially entailed giving tours of the juvenile prison system, uh, which is not even as good as it probably sounded in the last sentence. And I really was not looking forward to being there much longer. And I was having beers with some friends of mine who had started the very first internet company in Arizona. This is circa early 1993. And they said, you know, this internet company is getting a little bigger and we don't know anything about marketing. And I said, well, that's fine because when you say the word internet, I don't actually know what you mean, but I will do anything to not give another tour of this prison. And I walked in the next day and quit. And so I ended up as VP sales and marketing of an internet company, having literally never been on the internet, which makes for an exceptionally interesting first day at work, I can tell you. And what did that company do? Two things, dial up, uh, dial up internet. So we're talking about, you know, old school, uh, 14.4, take giant floppies, put them in an envelope with a rubber band around them and a piece of paper and say, here's how you get on the internet. Of course, these are the days of AOL, CompuServe, et cetera, um, Prodigy. And, and we were the open internet, the scary, unregulated internet. So we did, it started off as a dial-up business. And then my partner in this firm, uh, this is going to sound absurd, but it is true, invented 
web hosting. So before he came along, back in the day, if you wanted to have a website, you needed to have an entire server. It was one box, one computer per domain name. He literally invented the partitioning algorithm that would allow you to serve up multiple HTTPS calls, HTTP calls, multiple websites on one server. So today, of course, that's commonplace. And, and you know, somebody like Rackspace will run two, 300 websites off one box. Back then, it was one box, one server. So we were able to take the cost of web hosting from about $1,200 a month on a dedicated server to $169 a month on a virtual server. And for a time, we were the only ones in the whole world who can do that, which of course led to explosive growth and all the kind of apocryphal stories that you've heard of those days, early internet days, you know, guys sleeping on the floor to reboot servers in the middle of the night. That's all true. I lived all of that. And so what, what kind of marketing were you doing? A two-part question. What were, what were the, some of the enduring lessons of that experience that you've carried forward to today? <laughs> it's great to have first mover advantage, but only if the customers want you to move first. Like I, no joke, spent the first four years of my internet career from say 93 to 97, 98, sitting in conference rooms, convincing companies that they needed a website. Convincing and converting them, right? Yeah, as it turns out, it really, that's true. And, and so, you know, you, you, it's great to have this, this, you know, first toy on the block, but only if people know that they want that toy. That's why I'm so enamored with how Apple introduced the iPad, you know, back uh, many years ago. It's like, here's a thing that nobody actually knew they wanted, and then they made them want that. And that's a more difficult communications challenge than I think most of us give credit for. And the second thing I learned is that when you are in a period of breakneck growth and you think that will continue it's really important to have adults in the room. And we didn't. And that kind of hurt us. I, I was the senior partner at the ripe old age of 23 uh, with ex <laughs> the, the extensive experience that comes with giving juvenile prison tours and running political campaigns. And so we really needed some more senior management. And, and we went out and looked for a, sort of a professional CEO. Um, but by the time we sort of got around to that, we'd, we'd made some mistakes and, and cost us some momentum and things like that. And then I think that the last thing is it's awesome being in business with your friends and your friends' wives and all the things that that entails, but it also creates a lot of challenges outside the office. And we certainly experienced some of that too. And so how did that situation end? Poorly or well? It depends on how you describe poorly. I left after a couple of years and, and went to start a large uh, web operation, web design, web strategy firm that was bankrolled by a media conglomerate in Phoenix. So I left to go do that. And the remaining partners ended up selling the organization to Mindspring, which eventually became Earthlink or was bought by Earthlink. Um, so it got rolled up. Nobody made the kind of money on that company that perhaps uh, we could have or envisioned that we did, but everybody ended up being fine. And it's a heck of a story. So I mean, here, here's how long ago this is. I don't know if you know this tale. So when we started, domain names were free. You could buy whatever domain name you wanted. And nobody cared. You just, I want this, 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 and this. Um, you know, it was just literally the Wild West. And these guys and I, my partners and I had a whole bunch of them. We sold Budweiser.com to Anheuser-Busch in 1993 for 50 cases of beer. <laughs> That's a true story. That is a true story. And we generally thought that we got a super, super good deal. A great deal. Yeah, a great deal. But in those days, beer is currency, right? These things go both ways. I was just listening to Drew Houston did a podcast with Tim Ferriss and he was talking about how he got the Dropbox name when it was Get Dropbox and he went to this guy's house and he 
he stalked him for a year and eventually I think they agreed to like a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that with his investors and he offered him stock and he didn't take it. And I think at the IPO, the stock would have been worth a hundred and something million dollars. <laughs> Bird in a hand, right? Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of good decisions and, and, and bad decisions. So let's fast forward to today. And I think this is an area where you and I have, have a lot of overlap in terms of, you know, there's online marketing everywhere, people talking about uh, whether it's Snapchat or Facebook or influencers and really focused on the, on the top of the funnel. You've all obviously built your firm Convince and Convert on really focusing on the bottom of the funnel and not the shiny object, but how do you take these folks and get them to buy your product and service? So can you talk a little bit about that, kind of where you focus and how you see that in the market today? Is it, is it sort of a lost art? Do people just can't? It's always amazing to me that people just pour into a new channel and tend to suspend all their traditional metrics and then they're surprised <laughs> when it doesn't perform very well. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you're asking about the, the early days at Internet Direct, which is the name of that company. And one of the things I learned there and then in my subsequent firm, azfamily.com, when we were really in the web design business and, and, you know, back in the days when you could make a ton of money building websites for corporations. One thing I, I learned in those days is that execution is always commoditized eventually. It's just a matter of time. It isn't whether it's going to happen. It's just when it's going to happen. And so when I started Commit to Convert 10 years ago, I said, I'm going to do something that's dissimilar from the other professional services companies I've had. One, it's going to be all virtual. And two, even more importantly, it's going to be all strategy, right? So we only do strategy. We do not do any tactics. We do not do execution work. And, and we just never will uh, because... Even now, as you get more artificial intelligence, more machine learning, more robots doing the blocking and tackling of marketing, the more that happens, the more the strategist becomes king because somebody has to tell the robots what to do. And I just assume that's me or you. So consequently, our firm uh, is boutique on purpose, virtual on purpose, all senior staff on purpose, only strategy on purpose. And, and we work with many of the world's most interesting brands, as do you, Bob, to help them understand the strategic implications of social media, content marketing, customer experience, word of mouth, and, and the other things that we advise them on. So I don't know, either naming or not naming a client, can you just give an example of the type of problem that someone brings to your firm that you're... Sure. I'll get, yeah. Yeah. So we did a project 18 months ago or so, maybe it's two years now for the United Nations. A real honor to work with them. They're super smart crew. The division that we worked with is called FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization. They're based in Rome. Their challenge is a small little assignment to eradicate world hunger. So there's that, which is a <laughs> sizable mission statement. And specifically what they're trying to do and why they came to us is use social media globally to unlock the awareness of young people about things that can be done to make the world a more fertile place, a, a more productive place to uh, help people eat and feed themselves, which is no small task. So we did a very large uh, global audit and assessment with them and helped them with a lot of social media content strategy of what to say, how to say it, where to say it when to say it, uh, how to amplify it, et cetera. And, uh, and they're off and running and doing a great job. And then you help point them in the direction of who should do that in terms of the pieces. Yes. Although I will tell you that uh, partially just, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Most of the uh, companies that, that hire us have robust in-house capabilities to begin with. And so we become their strategic counsel. We're like personal trainers for digital marketing. 
in some cases, uh, we have clients who have us and then a number of other agencies working with them to do execution. But, but usually we tend to work primarily with companies that try and keep most things in-house. Interesting. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash elevate. Fast forward to the end of 2024 and think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. It's designed by real people for real conversations. I've tried Babbel. It's fun, it's interactive, and in just a few minutes a day, I could see that it was making a difference and helping my comprehension and retention. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com slash elevate. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash elevate, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash elevate. Rules and restrictions may apply. The other big trend I'd love to get your perspective and and what you're seeing on, you know, what are some of the things that you see, uh, trends that you see in performance marketing as all of these companies increasingly shift from being brand marketers to direct to consumer marketers for the first time? And that really affects nonprofits. Oh, it's crazy. Retail. Yeah, everything. Well, I mean, this, this, (laughs) this whole idea of influencer marketing. Yeah. It's just performance marketing. Yeah, it's just Oprah Winfrey was a was an influencer marketer. Right? You know, we love putting new new names on things. But if everybody is, yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, this idea of influencer marketing and that's the new flavor of the month. All that is 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 performance marketing or, or affiliate marketing. You know, wrapped in in a different cloak. It's the same thing. The difference is that now instead of having a small number of you know highly compensated, highly experienced performance marketing partners, you can do that plus work with a much larger group of of sort of influencers, quote unquote, or more influential or individualized um, performance marketers because the software allows you to manage larger numbers of people without driving yourself crazy. But are you seeing people have a little bit of a hangover as they move from sort of B2B marketers to direct marketers? not able to get their hands around the right metrics of of success. I mean that that that's one of the areas where I think it's just a it's a really different 
ball game to be like, yeah, we had this great Super Bowl ad versus how many conversions did we get <laughs> get on that on that campaign? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. It's where we see because we, we don't specialize in either B two B or B two C. It convince and convert. We work on both sides of the aisle, and it's one of the great distinctions between the two. I think typically those distinctions are are overblown, but in this case, it's not. the The B two B side is so much more attuned to measurement and direct results because. In B2B organizations, sales is king and marketing is there to serve sales. And so marketing's responsibility is to deliver sales qualified leads that then the sales team can go and close. And so everything is hyper-focused on measured results and performance and lead gen and demand gen. Whereas on the B2C side, it's still somewhat nebulous in some cases because there isn't typically a sales force in between the marketing message and consumer consumption of the product and service. And so marketing is typically a sort of higher order existence on on the B2C side. And they really struggle with tying specific digital initiatives to results. For example, if you're doing marketing for Twizzlers licorice, right? Like you can do a bunch of interesting things. It's just really difficult to say, hey, this particular program equaled this much licorice sales. I mean, it is possible to determine that. But but at some level, you have to ask yourself the question, what's the ROI of precisely knowing your ROI? But I think what you're doing at Acceleration Partners and this whole idea of everything can be performance marketing is so on trend because even today, I, I just saw a number a couple of days ago, something like 70, 75% of CMOs still feel like they're lacking in measurement. Here we are on the doorstep of 2019 and we still don't have it figured out. So the more that we can shine the spotlight on what works and give people the opportunity to invest only in things that work, the better off we're going to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of my favorite quotes, I think, which was over 100 years ago, which is John Wanamaker's, you know, only half my marketing works and half doesn't. I just don't know which half. What's crazy to me is that we're 20 plus years in the digital marketing. Everyone's got analytics, attribution, you know, data up the yin yang. I'm not sure anyone's really that much better than the 50% rule now at saying like, I, I have all this data, but I'm not sure which 50% is is working. And there seems to be something fundamentally wrong with that. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges is is that we we believe in data more than we should. Yeah. It's not about data, right? Data has no net present value. And that's what people say, oh, we're so excited about big data. Look, all data does is confuse you. It's not about big data. It's about big understanding. We are surrounded by data, yet we're largely starved for insights, which is why I love the whole concept of performance marketing, because what performance marketing does by definition is it provides insights inside this sea of data. It tells you not just what has happened, but what has actually worked. And that I think is pretty exciting. Just unpack that a little bit and to play devil's advocate. I think one of the dangers of measurement and performance is fear of failing or overmeasurement. I mean, there's, look, there's even a direct marketing performance-based world there's still some brand building. There's still some repetition. Like not everything is going to work or have a clean endpoint. And and I actually think that you know this is kind of the tension. Whereas the folks coming from brand marketing are used to kind of no measurement, and and the folks coming from performance marketing are used to measuring everything and almost can't step back and sort of look at the halo or brand effect of things. And somehow there, this needs to intersect a little bit because. You know, some of the smart markers I've talked to say, look, I'm going to put 10 or 15% just kind of in R&D. Like this stuff is not going to work, but we'll have some measurement. We shouldn't lose a ton of money, but we'll have some measurement to to measure it and, and see where we went wrong. 
we've had clients, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but they kind of ask us how something is going to perform in advance of even doing it, <laughs> right? They want they want like the predictive crystal ball. Yeah. Yeah. Like if I knew that, I wouldn't be here. I'd be on a beach in Hawaii and enjoying, you know, something besides tequila. So I'd love to get your kind of thoughts on, on this. Where is the 80-20 rule on all this? Everything is measurable. This idea that this isn't measurable, that, that's, that's BS. That's not true. Everything is measurable. It's just how much time and money do you want to throw against it? Like that's the truth, right? Everything is measurable. It's just a factor of time and money. So what we always say to our customers is, okay, if you want to know this, we can make that happen. But then how are you going to change the inputs or outputs of your business if you knew that? And if you're just collecting a number to say you have a number, that's not a good use of resources. I'd rather put that time and money into media or creative or research or something else that has real outcomes just to say, hey, we've got a, a dashboard that makes us feel better. Ah, that's not a good use of time. Well, this gets to what you said, the ROI on the ROI, right? Yeah. We, we've had clients in the past saying, asking us if we could run the ROI on a $500 campaign. We're like, sure, but that might be $400 of, <laughs> of manpower. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it was two to one until we had to do the research and now it's one to two, but now you know. So CMO walks into your office today, says, look, I've just taken over as the head of this direct consumer company. Um, this is my first time in this job. What are the top one or two things I need to be doing or paying attention to? The first things that we always look at is what story are you telling and what stories are your customers telling about you? <laughs> and then what's the gap? Yeah, for sure. What's the gap? But then also how consistent are they? See, one of the challenges today is, you know, attention's hard to come by, right? Like everybody's out there fighting and clawing for attention and you're much better off telling one story over and over in a bunch of different interesting ways than trying to tell six, eight, 10 different stories. I, I feel like the messaging is way too diffuse for most consumer organizations. And they think that, oh, well, the customer is going to see it in this venue. They'll see the message in this venue and they'll, they'll be able to connect the dots. No, they won't. I'll tell you what one of the big challenges are with all marketers today is they believe that their customers care about their company as much as they do. Yeah. And they totally do not. <laughs> Nobody cares about your company except the people who work in your company. So this idea that if we just kind of sprinkle stuff around out there in social media or whatever, it doesn't matter, print, outdoor, direct mail, emails, it's immaterial, uh, that people are going to pay attention. It just doesn't hold water, right? So what we try and do first before we get into tactics or ops or any of those kind of things or channels is to say, all right, why should somebody buy from you? Why, why should we care? Why does this company even exist? Justify that first. And then once you know what that justification is, what's the storytelling that makes that justification ring true and authentic? And then look at what customers are saying and are they picking up that message? And if not, then that gap needs to be closed, right? And we're doing so much work now in word of mouth, you know, befitting the new book and helping companies figure out the story that they want their customers to tell and then propagating it through an actual word of mouth strategy. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think a little what you're saying is, and I won't get the exact phrase right, but I've heard a lot of smart marketing people talk about, you know, having the story going after the kind of the heart of it versus facts and features, right? Where a lot of companies are just putting out kind of facts and features, and that's really not working as much anymore. It can work, but I think you have to map it to funnel stage. Right. 
people don't typically want facts and features until they're mid-funnel or lower in their consideration journey. Now, in some companies, consideration journey is pretty quick. Like, do I want this cereal or that cereal, right? So at that point, if you know you're choosing between two cereals, it might be number of sugar, tablespoons of sugar in this one versus that one, and you, and you win the day based on that criteria. But there has to be something that that creates demand. And most marketing today simply fulfills demand. It's like, oh, you're interested? Here's how to buy. That's super important, obviously. But there has to be something else that gets people interested as well. Hi, everyone. If you're not a subscriber to Harvard Business Review, you're missing out on a wealth of leadership content. Widely acknowledged as the leader in business leadership information, Harvard Business Review provides information, tools, and practical advice on leadership, management, and strategy through the hbr.org website, their print publication, and their incredible podcasts. Premium subscribers can also access a selection of Harvard Business School real-world case studies and scenarios that provide business leaders with the learnings from how business leaders manage their business, their team, and themselves. When I need a source or data that I can trust for one of my articles, HBR is my go-to. Just this week, I referenced one of their articles about the efficacy of required diversity training, which had the most data behind it by far. While much of Harvard Business Review's content is available for free, after signing up at their site, subscriptions to unlimited content start at just $10 a month. Go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE right now to take advantage of this great offer. Again, go to www.hbr.org slash subscriptions and enter promo code ELEVATE to learn more about this great opportunity to help manage your career and business. With everyone fighting for attention these days, how can you get your business to stand out and connect with customers? It's easy. Get Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. Constant Contact makes it easy to promote your business with powerful tools like email and SMS marketing, social media postings, and even event management. You'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track your growth. Constant Contact's writing assistance tools and automation features help you say the right thing at the right time, every time. Plus, you can send with confidence, knowing that your emails are actually reaching your customers, thanks to their best-in-class 97% deliverability rate. Constant Contact was actually the first email marketing platform I ever used almost 20 years ago, and it's a testament to the product's quality that it's still the standard for email marketing today. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. At the top of the phone is probably what's the why, right? Like why cereal? Yeah, exactly. So here's how I explain it to clients. Nobody in the history of the world has ever needed socks, but everybody in the history of the world has needed their feet to be warmer. So we tend to automatically message farther down the funnel than we should. That's interesting. Well, obviously, you know, you're very good at putting together high level 
concepts because you've now written several books and you also have five multi-million dollar businesses uh, under your belt. Now, for most people, I think building one of these businesses is an enormous challenge and it, and it depends a lot on being in the right place at the right time. So you've done it five times. So I'd love for you to share with kind of listeners, what, what do you think some of the consistent theme or themes have been in your success and the ability to replicate this formula across multiple companies? Most of my businesses have been of a, of a similar type, right? Services, companies, those kind of things. So I think part of it is understanding what the market is going to get from lots of other purveyors and then what we can provide that's slightly different. For example, this idea that we only do strategy, that we don't do tactics. That's a very specific and purposeful decision that we made from the very first day that really separates us from a lot of other people who do what we do in the digital marketing ecosystem. One of the other things that I think helps is that I don't really care about any of this. And what I mean by that is what I mean, I don't care about Instagram. I don't care about podcasts. I don't care about any of it. What I care about is business. Yeah. And we come at these kind of problems from a business perspective and then figure out which tool in the toolbox to apply. But I'm not a cheerleader for any of this. You know, you won't see me saying very often, oh, Snapchat is the shit. That's what you should. I don't care because I've been doing this long enough to know that today's uh, exciting thing is tomorrow's no longer relevant thing. Like I've been around for so many cycles of this and I've seen it over and over and over and over and over that this is the next big thing. And then everybody rushes into it and then competition gets overwhelming and then you got to rush out of it because you can't make money at it anymore. It just history repeats. And I think people understand and appreciate that about the way I look at it. Just like, look, I, it doesn't matter. Um, let's just figure out what makes sense and we'll go do that. And we just take a really objective view. Like we don't, you know, we've got a lot of partnerships and sponsorships and all that, but we don't do any commission deals, things like that. We, which sounds crazy uh, to a performance marketer, but like, you know, if we go right, if we recommend some big software stack to a client, like we don't take a piece of that action. We don't do any of that stuff. We don't mark stuff up. We just come at it from a, Hey, we're going to give you the best advice possible and you're going to pay us for our time. So it sounds like you've launched uh, versus launching a diversified conglomerate. You've launched companies designed to be great at a narrow band spectrum. And when you find a new opportunity, you launch a new company to be great around that spectrum. And when a lot of people are doing the op opposite and they're just launching new and new services that complicate their business. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. Every time I think about adding more ornaments to the Christmas tree. Yeah. I always think, man, that branch is going to break. Put up a new tree. Yeah. Put up a new tree, man. That's it. That's exactly it. And you know what? The thing is, I'm, I'm too old now to start a bunch of new companies too. Like, I, I mean, like, I know what it takes. I've done it so many times. I know what it takes to do a cold start. And I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I've got an idea right now for a really interesting company. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to do that again. You find operators to run businesses at this point? or That's do you, what I would do. Yeah. So I haven't so far. That's what I would do in this one. But instead, I invest in everything, right? I, I'm an investor in probably 30 tech companies. I do a lot of angel investing, a lot of advising. And so I sort of get that. I get that super early stage itch scratched that way, as opposed to me putting my time more so um, than my capital on the line. Yeah, look, when I, when I was 25, I would have loved someone to say, hey, here's a business idea I have. Here's my support and here's the money and I want you to be the CEO. I would yeah. <laughs> yeah, go get it. Where was that? <laughs> 
Yeah. I, well, I did that essentially. I mean, that my first company, that's essentially what happened to me, right? They, they hired me away from uh, my first internet company and said, here's the money and go make this happen. Wow. And I was 25. I lived it. All right. You started lots of different businesses. Let's dive into your last two books because they're all a little bit different topics. Yeah, that's the idea. Uh, talk about Hug Your Haters, Principle of Keeping Customers. So one of, one of the things that Hug Your Haters that I love was, maybe you'll tell me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but is it the Hatrix? Hatrix, yeah. Hatrix. All right. Can you explain the Hatrix and how customer service teams can use it? So the Hatrix uh, is actually a poster inside the book that tells you all the different stats about different types of complainers, people who complain on stage versus off stage, what their expectations are, and then also the different uh, bumps or declines in customer advocacy that you'll see if you answer a customer complaint in a particular channel or choose to not answer a complaint in that channel. The fundamental premise of the book is that even if you can't fix the problem, your company will benefit just by addressing every customer who complains, but in every channel, not just the typical phone, email, Twitter, but everywhere. Uh, and that's particularly true now because customer service is a spectator sport in a way that it didn't used to be. Like for a long, long time, if a customer is unhappy, it's like, well, okay, that's just between you and the business because that, that exchange happened on the phone or face-to-face, -face, maybe email, maybe a complaint letter that actually happened back in the day or a fax. Uh, and now between Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, certainly Yelp, TripAdvisor, discussion boards, forums, a lot of customer to company interactions take place in full view of lots of other potential customers. And that changes the financial ramifications of customer service dramatically. Right. So this is the 80-20 rule of social media customer service. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't say it's just social media customer service, really all customer service, but social media certainly has a a second layer of value there because it is public. And yeah, it, it's, it's a matter of determining, we've gone through this a little bit as we look at sort of customer and feedback scores. And sometimes some of the low customer service scores are, are from the smallest clients, right? And, and projects that probably just aren't going to work out. And I mean, every company has to risk weight these things, right? You, you have, you're in a 24 by seven online feedback news cycle, if you try to respond and focus on everything, you're, you're diluting yourself across the board and you got to figure out which relationships matter, right? Yeah, you would hope that, that companies feel like it makes sense to try to maintain all customers because churn is one of the great problems with business. It costs you a lot more to, to get a customer than keep a customer, of course. But this idea that every customer is a good customer is also a fallacy. Like there is a point in time at which it doesn't make sense. Like it just, it's just not a good fit. And you're spending so much time and so much mental energy trying to keep somebody happy who frankly is never going to be happy that, that at that point you're, you're actually better off cutting them loose. Yeah. My favorite, I don't know if you've heard this, but my favorite stories about this came from the biography of Southwest where this woman would write a letter to Curb Kelleher every week, basically saying, you know, I, I, I hate your plastic tickets. I hate having to stand in line. Your flight attendants are always joking and driving me crazy. And, and he wrote her a letter back and said, dear miss, whatever, please don't fly our airline. You know, <laughs> you really don't seem like a good fit because everything that, that was a core feature for them, that person didn't like. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're not going to, we can't make you happy if you're not happy with our business model. That's something that we can't fix. Yeah. And he was like, please go away. Like, we're, we're never going to make you happy. You're wasting a lot of energy. So that, that, that guy's so great. 
he's the best. I saw him speak when I was like 23, like really, really early in my career, had a real impact on me. He came to the ad club in Phoenix and, you know, he was like drinking Jack Daniels on stage and smoking back in the day when that wasn't that crazy, but um, smoking on stage was a little crazy. And he said something that I'll never forget. Bobby said, the worst our performance is, like the worst our economic performance is, the more we advertise. And, and I thought that was a really interesting concept, right? Because so many companies do the opposite, right? When times are tough, the first thing they do is cut their ad budget. And what he said was, when times are tough, the first thing we do is increase the ad budget because we know all of our competitors will cut theirs. And that's how we steal market share. He said, we steal market share in down times and we try to preserve market share in good times. And I thought that was really, really smart. Yeah, it's just going counter. I mean, I, I have this, this, you alluded to this before, but I have this discussion with everyone around, you know, one of my favorite quotes is what the wise man does or early the fool does late. You know, as all advertising moves to digital and to auction based, when people literally crowd into something, there's no latency in terms of the, the prices moving up. And I remember, you know, years ago, remember the Daily Candy when it first came out, it was kind of one of the first email. People would say you could build your business on the Daily Candy because if you got in the daily candy, it would just put your business on the map and because it was underpriced, right? Relative to value. Well, soon, you know, that adds up people to daily candy got smart and they, they upped it prices by 20 X and now no one could make money on the daily candy. So this is, we talked about this before, this notion of this works or doesn't work. It it just can't be an absolute. If you're crowding into something where everyone else is, it might go from, you know, the early advertisers on Snapchat that found in the beta program really worked are very different experience from what you're reading about now. Some of the people now in there with the rates up, you know, probably 10x over what those guys paid. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the minimum click was five cents at GoTo at one point. Uh, you know, those, those, those days are those days are long gone. But by the same token, first mover advantage only makes sense if you actually know what you're doing. Right. Being first just to be first isn't necessarily a benefit. You have to be first and actually be good at it. And also, I would say, never copy something that someone else is doing if you don't know it's working. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good advice. I like that one a lot. I feel like, uh, or you don't know why it's working. It may seem to work, but you're not sure how to make it work. I feel like the the large number of Gary Vaynerchuk devotees would be wise to take that advice. Like I love Gary and I are, are buddies, and uh, I think it's extraordinary how he's able to sort of create this tribe and 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 lead them and inspire people. But folks, you're not Gary. And so to say, let me plug and play what he does and it's going to work for me. It's not. It's not. You're wasting your time. No, you got to You got to got to do you. Well, your latest book that's out now, Talk Triggers. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what talk triggers are, why they're important and how we how we can use them. It's kind of hilarious because here we are talking about digital performance marketing. And this book is about the oldest marketing in the world, which is word of mouth which still uh, is responsible for between 50 and 90% of all purchases, or at least influences uh, that many purchases. Yet, word of mouth is the most important thing in business for which we have no strategy. Like We've got all kinds of strategies. You've got a performance strategy, you got a marketing strategy, social strategy, PR strategy, crisis strategy, you got a desk full of strategies. But the one strategy you don't have is a word of mouth strategy uh, because we just assume that it will happen. We just figure that our, you know, if we run a good business, our customers will talk about us. Will they? And if so, what will they say? So today we find ourselves in a circumstance where most companies are doing word of mouth on accident. They're just very laissez-faire about it. And this book helps you do word of mouth on purpose to create an operational differentiator. We call them a talk trigger, something that you do differently in the operations of your business that customers notice and talk about. Because the best way to grow any business is to have your customers grow it for you. There's a saying, I don't 
think it's entirely true, but it's partially true, that advertising is a tax paid by the unremarkable. Love that quote, yeah. And what we're trying to do in this book is help you find that thing that you can do that is remarkable that your customers will tell each other about. And we have a whole system for doing it. It's the exact same system we use uh, on the consulting side of our business. We just wrote a book about it and gave it away. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help define the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Any candidate who's looking for a job is going to be on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn isn't just another job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals, and many like myself use it every day, which also makes it the best place to hire. LinkedIn gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. That's why 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free today at linkedin.com practical. That's linkedin.com practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I will include the links to talk triggers and stuff in the show notes um, so people can get information on that. I think also hitting the bestseller list. So congrats on on, on doing that yet again. Jay practices what he preaches. You know, there's a lot of folks who who espouse theory, but they can't do it themselves. I think what you can appreciate here is, is that Jay is able to actually implement these strategies for his own businesses. So we talked about all the good. I always like to end this question. What, what is the experience or the mistake or the repeated mistake that you have learned the most from? Mm, that's a good one. I'll give you two quickly. One, before I went to work for the government, I was uh, head of marketing for waste management. I was a trash man. Uh, and I did marketing for Arizona and Southern California for a big environmental services company. And I liked that job quite a bit. But my boss got promoted to corporate and a new guy came in and he sucked. I like really didn't like him. He was not smart. He was not a good manager. I just didn't respect him, right? Like I'm one of those people who are like, I'm totally fine working for somebody else as long as I respect that person. And in this case, I really didn't. And I was young. I was, you know, at this point, I, it was before I went to the internet company. So I was like 22 maybe. And I left. I'm like, I'm out. I can't work for this guy. And I quit. And about 45 days later, they realized that this guy was in over his head and he got transferred out and a new guy got put in who was way better. And so I, I realized that like sometimes when you see something that, that probably should change, maybe it will actually change. Just give it a little while. So that taught me a little more patience than, than I have uh, naturally. And I'll tell you another one. A few years ago, my team and I created a brand new website called marketingpodcasts.com. It's essentially a directory of marketing podcasts because even today, 2018, it's really hard to do podcast discovery. As you know, Bob, and as maybe some of your listeners know, it's not easy to do that, right? You can go into an app or you can go into the iTunes store or whatever, but it's still pretty tricky. And so we built a whole algorithm to score podcasts, to rank and order them by subtopics. If you wanted small business marketing, here's the top nine shows. It was it was dope. It was really, really good technology and is really effective. And I loved it. And the problem was before I dove into this because I saw a hole in the market, I never figured out how we were actually going to make money at it. 
I just, I just built it and then said, Hey, we'll figure out how to make money on it later. Uh, and there are people who are smart enough to do that. I'm not one of those people. Uh, and so then I realized like, Hey, we just, we just built this thing and it doesn't make any sense in the context of our other businesses, but now we have this baby. And so we ended up shutting it down because I just, I couldn't monetize it. And so I learned from that an important lesson, which is let's figure out the business model first and then actually build the thing second, which I know sounds patently obvious, but to me at that point, it certainly was not. Well, wise lessons there uh, that everyone can learn from. Jay, again, could talk to you all day about countless topics. I've really enjoyed our discussion and really appreciate you taking the time to uh, join me today on Outperform. My pleasure. Fantastic to be here and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, Jay has a few websites and social handles related to his business and personal brand. So we'll be sure to include all those links uh, in his episode page on our website and in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in to the Outperform podcast. We want to keep you happy and provide content that you find interesting and relevant. So please do take a few seconds to rate or review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And until next time, keep outperforming. Hello, Elevate Podcast listeners. I wanted to let you know about my friend Darius and his amazing show, The Greatness Machine. The Greatness Machine is one of the top-ranked educational and business podcasts in the country, recently ranking top five in the entrepreneurial category on iTunes. Here's why I love Darius and The Greatness Machine. It really comes down to a few things. The Greatness Machine has amazing guests from the likes of sports icon Gabby Reese, worldwide news sensation Amanda Knox, FBI hostage negotiator Chris Voss, and Tiny Habits expert and author BJ Fogg, to NHL Hall of Famer Chris Pronger, and hundreds more. Darius keeps it real. I always learn something new, and I have a few laughs. And he always also asks great questions, and is a really entertaining and engaging host. The Greatness Machine is where you get to be a fly on the wall and listen to Darius and his amazing group of guests talk about how they got to where they are today and hear stories of people who have lived their passions to create greatness in the world and doing so despite the odds. So if you want to be entertained while learning from some of the greatest and most accomplished people in the world, this is definitely a show for you to check out. Subscribe to The Greatness Machine today on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast.
or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.